Support comes from AstraZeneca, working to change how cancer is treated with personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about improving healthcare access for underserved populations with Dr. Sanjeev Arora. Dr. Arora is the director and founder of Project ECHO, or Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes. He is a distinguished professor of medicine with tenure in the Department of Internal Medicine at University of New Mexico Health Sciences Center. Dr. Chagpar is an associate professor of surgery at Yale School of Medicine and the assistant director for global oncology at Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. Sanjeev, maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit more about Project ECHO. What exactly is it? So ECHO stands for Extension for Community Health Outcomes. And our mission is to democratize medical knowledge to get best practice care to underserved people all over the world. We have a goal to touch the lives of 1 billion people by 2025. And um, we do this by a simple principle of moving knowledge instead of moving patients and providers. So for example, in an area that you're very familiar with, breast cancer, there have been increasing disparities in the United States. We know that African-American women were having the same mortality, the same rate of death from breast cancer in the 70s, but now breast cancer mortality rates are 43% greater in African-American women than in whites. Similar disparities are there in colorectal cancer screening. For example, in federally qualified health centers, these are centers and clinics that provide care to underserved people in the United States. We have 11,000 of them. Colon cancer screening rates are 34%, even though we know that colon cancer screening saves lives. This is a very highly effective intervention to prevent cancer and di- or d- diagnose it early, and yet we are unable to implement these best practices There is also the challenge that um, medical knowledge is increasing exponentially. And the CDC has recently published in uh, MMWR, Mobility Mortality Weekly Report, that these cancer disparities are continuously increasing. And um, so essentially with progress, the populations, the underserved populations, minority and poor people, are not getting access to the various best practices in cancer or any other field in medicine. In terms of worldwide, the problem is that six billion people in the world don't have access to the right knowledge at the right place at the right time. And if you don't have the right knowledge at the right place at the right time, it is impossible for you to get the right care. Even if the medicine is existing, is generic, it's only a few cents, yet, with the, without the right knowledge, it is impossible to get the right care. And as a result of this lack of knowledge, tens of millions of people in the world suffer unnecessary death, morbidity, mortality, 
which is highly avoidable. And this is the problem we're trying to solve with ECHO. So that that sounds like such a laudable goal, but how exactly does it work? So what was happening was that I was treat, uh, treating hepatitis C at the University of New Mexico. I'm a gastroenterologist by profession. And there was an eight-month wait to see me. Treatment consisted of uh, chemotherapy-like regimen with interferon and ribavirin. And New Mexico is a rural state in the United States and uh, the southwest part. And there was an, people would drive hundreds of miles making 12 trips to see me. And even though 28,000 patients had been diagnosed and there was a cure, less than 5% had received treatment. So I developed ECHO as a way to bring access to care for all the patients in New Mexico. And then I knew I'd have a model that could be used for many diseases all over the world. So the way ECHO works is that there are four key ideas in ECHO. The first is we use technology to leverage scarce resources. So to manage a hepatitis C patient, I needed a psychiatrist, a pharmacist, a liver specialist. It's hard enough to get these together in an academic center. It was almost impossible in a rural area. So we said we would use one-to-many video conferencing for that, um, to make that work. The second key principle in Project Echo is to share best practices. So we set up 21 centers of excellence for treating hepatitis C all over New Mexico. Five of them were in the prison system and 16 were in federally qualified health centers. We wanted to treat all 28,000 patients, really, and that's why we set it up so that in every location in New Mexico there was a center of excellence in treating hepatitis C. And in order to be called a center of excellence, you had to have a nurse practitioner, a family doctor, or a physician assistant be the leader. And they had to agree to become specialists in hepatitis C. So we shared our protocol with these 21 sites. That's the second idea, sharing best practices. But no one can treat hepatitis C by just looking at a guideline. So we said, how did I become an expert? When I did my fellowship in gastroenterology in Boston, I, they put me in a patient room to see a patient. I would come out present to my professor. I saw another patient presented to my professor and after two years I, they started calling me a gastroenterologist. So I said I would use the same model to make these people hepatitis C experts. And the fourth key principle, in, we call this third principle case-based learning and the fourth key principle is outcomes tracking using web-based databases. The heart of ECHO is what we call a tele-ECHO clinic. And what that is, is that every Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., I started an echo clinic in 2003, where all 21 of these primary care clinicians would join me on an interactive video network like Hollywood Squares. And one by one, they would present patients of hepatitis C to me and my team and to each other. And over the course of um, two hours, we would co-manage about 10 patients in a de-identified way. And I would give them a 15-minute lecture on hepatitis C. So typically, an echo clinic is mostly patient discussions, real cases. And what we found over a year, that their professional satisfaction went up, their isolation went down, their self-efficacy went like through the roof. And 
it was producing joy of work for them. And they were having professional development. They were becoming specialists. Over 18 months, the wait in my clinic fell from eight months to two weeks. Anybody in New Mexico could get treatment with hepatitis C. We treated thousands and thousands of patients. And then we did a head-to-head -head study, which we published in the, in the New England Journal of Medicine, where we showed that these rural doctors and prison doctors could produce the same level of care as university specialists, and actually better than specialists alone were treating in, in the United States, much better, because treating patients close to their homes in culturally appropriate setting by doctors whom they knew and trust, care was better. So as we showed this, people came to us and said, look, we want to do it for other diseases. And so we started one for diabetes and then for rheumatology consultation and another one for uh, you know, HIV, another one for high-risk pregnancy, and so on and so forth. And now we have 30 projects in New Mexico. But at some point, as we were rolling out one echo after the other and they were all working, we realized that, look, the need is much bigger than New Mexico and that 6 billion people don't have access to the right knowledge. And, and we had asked a question to our New Mexico rural doctors, is specialty access a major need for you? not hepatitis C, just in general. And they said, yes, 4.9 out of 5. They said, look, we have a very hard time accessing specialty care for our poor patients. And it got me thinking. I said, you know, we have more specialists than any other country in the world here, and yet we cannot provide specialty care to our underserved people. In Africa, they have 50 times less specialists. What's going on there? And as, I, as I've gone to all these countries, I'm finding that poor people have no access to specialty care. People die from simple diseases just because nobody knows how to diagnose them. That's when we set our goal to touch the lives of one billion people by 2025, by democratizing knowledge, which is what we do in ECHO. And in order to fulfill this uh, goal, we decided we will train other universities to do ECHO. That's why I'm here today training Yale University to do ECHO. They've already tested it for one disease area for child abuse, but they need to do many more, and they really want to, and that's why they invited me. But all the other major universities have also many, many ECHO clinics. So at Harvard, Mass General, Bethesdale Deaconess, Johns Hopkins does many ECHO projects. MD Anderson in Texas does 13 ECHO projects. University of Washington, University of Chicago does eight, and uh, University of Colorado, and essentially every major university is now doing ECHO projects. The VA system has adopted ECHO. They have 11 academic hubs connected to uh, 600 clinics for 39 disease areas. We also um, partner with the U.S. Department of Defense worldwide, partnered with USAID, and PEPFAR for AIDS control in Africa, global control of TB. And now we have 170 university hubs in 24 countries, many in Africa, many in Asia, very large presence in India, where the government partnered with the government of Northern Ireland. They have 30 echo projects for their 2 million people. So it has been spreading fast and furiously. And I'm just delighted to be here with you on this uh, on this show, and thank you for hosting me. So, Sanjeev, let's dig a little bit deeper into how exactly 
ECHO works and how you're achieving this goal. One question that our listeners might have is when they go to the doctor, especially when they go to a specialist, you know, they really expect the specialist to do a physical exam and lay hands and may gain some insights and some nuances from actually seeing the patient, whereas here they're one step removed from the patient. The the nurse practitioner or the physician's assistant in the clinic sees the patient and then in a de-identified way through a, a, a computer monitor conveys that information to the physician. Has that been a barrier? You know, we've never actually found it as a barrier because of the fact that the patients we are trying to serve, there are many, many hurdles for them to actually see a specialist. Sometimes they are uninsured or underinsured. Sometimes they live too far away from the specialist and they don't have the money, the gas money, to go and meet. Sometimes their work is such that if they take a day off work, they don't get paid for that work. Sometimes Culturally, they feel strange when they come to a large facility like a Yale New Haven hospital. Sometimes um, sometimes they have other family problems that come up, which they have an appointment, but they can't make it. And this results in very bad outcomes. So the vast majority of patients in the world that we are encountering in 24 countries are extraordinarily grateful that their doctor actually provides the knowledge close to their home, provides the care, and also consults with their tertiary care facility that he cares enough to spend the time to become an expert in their disease. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute and then come back and learn more about Project ECHO with my guest, Dr. Sanjeev Arora. Support comes from AstraZeneca, a global science-led biopharmaceutical business committed to bringing to market innovative oncology medicines that address high unmet needs. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about head and neck cancers. Although the percentage of oral and head and neck cancer patients in the United States is only about 5% of all diagnosed cancers, there are challenging side effects associated with these types of cancer and their treatment. Clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments for head and neck cancers, and in many cases, less radical surgeries are able to preserve nerves, arteries, and muscles in the neck, enabling patients to move, speak, breathe and eat normally after surgery. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Sanjeev Arora. We're talking about Project ECHO, which is really an innovative uh, model for healthcare to bring specialty care to underserved populations, particularly in rural and global communities. Now, Dr. Aurora, before the break, we were talking about how this works, essentially providing care closer to where patients are through either family physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, who then consult with top-name academic institutions all over this country. 
clearly, you mentioned that these primary care providers on the ground in these rural areas have incredible job satisfaction. And the patients are very grateful to be able to access specialty care that they couldn't access previously. But I was wondering, what's in it for the people at the academic institutions? Now, clearly, there is a motivation to help others, and that's, of course, why we're all in this. Um, But when you spend every Wednesday afternoon uh, in your echo clinic, um, how are you reimbursed for that time? Or is that a philanthropic gesture on your part? So I started it off as a philanthropic gesture. But you know, what I've found, Anise, is that physicians such as yourself, uh, many of them encounter the same problem that I encountered, is that we spend sometimes a lifetime becoming experts in a particular area. But the only patients we can help are the ones that we see ourselves. And the need is infinite. The need for your expertise is infinite. And so what ECHO allows me to do is to have an impact on the world which is 100 times greater than I can do myself through other people by making other people as good as me. So we've never had a shortage of people who want to democratize their knowledge for human good. That's the purpose. Now, of course, there has to be some way to cover the time And many federal agencies, the federal government has given 150 grants out. Many foundations support ECHO. State Medicaid programs in eight states support ECHO projects at the university. The departments of health in many, many states support ECHO programs because they have certain goals, and ECHO helps them to achieve it faster, better, higher quality. ECHO is a disruptive innovation which can actually massively reduce cost and dramatically improve access and quality all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we have evidence for that. And so because of that reason, there are many, many possible sources of funding in um, the state of Missouri and in the University of New Mexico. The state legislature funds ECHO. The University of Missouri gets $3 million a year, every year, to do ECHO. The government of uh, Northern Ireland has started 30 ECHO projects. The government of Ontario and Canada uses $10 million a year to fund ECHO projects. So there are many, many sources. But most importantly um, is the ECHO Act, which in 2016 was presented to the U.S. Senate in a bipartisan way, and 97-0 was the vote. It went to the U.S. House of Representatives and um, unanimously passed. President Obama signed it into law. It is directing the U.S. government to understand ECHO, its impact on chronic diseases, on the public health, on um, disparities, on rural health, access to care, cost of care, and many, many other um, parameters and how to make it sustainable. And so all of these are major ways. The only difference, Anise, from your practice is that you probably get paid on a fee-for-service basis. But in... in ECHO, we, we think that free, fee-for-service can actually produce some wrong incentives where the, align, where the health system may not be perfectly aligned with the needs of patients. ECHO needs perfect alignment, and so we don't believe in funding by fee-for-service because the goal of Anise doing an ECHO project is to make people as good as her, 
So it's a model of mentorship, of interprofessional consultation, guided practice, with the idea of teaching people to fish rather than giving them fish. So therefore, the fee-for-service model doesn't work well for us because you're essentially trying to put yourself out of business. And, um, but it's working all over the world. The demand is amazing. We have 300 universities that have signed collaborative agreements, of which 170 are, have already launched. So that's how it gets funded. So instead of fee-for-service, because clearly you're not providing service to many hundreds of patients uh, in the time that it would really take you to treat just a few patients, um, are you paid by time? Yes. So what we do is we go to a university and essentially whatever the funder is would buy 15% of the time of a gastroenterologist. Mm -hmm. And they would in turn train 40 people to be as good as them. So the role at a very fundamental level, ECHO is trying to reimagine the role of an expert not just as provider of direct service, but to democratize their knowledge for human good. So we are using it not just in healthcare. I know, of course, this is about Yale cancer, but we also use ECHO to train school teachers in different mm -hmm. parts of the world uh, to be better school teachers in math and science and college preparedness. And we use it in um, many, many diverse, in veterinary science and many other fields uh, where a certain highly specialized knowledge is having a very hard time traveling to the last mile of healthcare, especially for underserved patients. So when we talk about healthcare delivery, though, only part of it, I would argue, is actually the knowledge. Part of it is, you know, do you have access to the right drugs, to the operating room, to specialized imaging, to advanced techniques? How do you overcome that barrier in these underserved populations? So, Anise, what happens is that um, the goal of ECHO is never to move care from a tertiary facility to a rural facility or an urban underserved facility. You mentioned rural, but ECHO works even better in urban underserved areas mm -hmm. like New Haven. It would work beautifully. But the, the issue is not to move care to a different location. The issue is the right care at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. So ECHO is an effective triage system. So there are patients who will be seen in rural areas who will have to travel hundreds of miles for the right care. But what we have found across the world is a lot of people, sometimes as many as 70% of patients, make an unnecessary trip for problems mm -hmm. which could be managed effectively in your own practice, I'm certain people come to you who don't need an operation. Right. They could have been seen and managed in the remote area or in the local federally qualified health center in New Haven if you gave them better knowledge to diagnose it, etc. But yes, what the other problem that happens is when there are 100 patients to be seen and the primary care doctor doesn't know what's going on with those patients, all 100 have to go and see a specialist. And all wait in a line, which can, be tra which can have tragic consequences. But the patient who needs to be seen right away has to have a way to get ahead of the line, which cannot happen if the primary care knowledge does not exist. Mm -hmm. So ECHO serves as that triage function to solve the problem. 
Now, you mentioned this really audacious goal, and I commend you for it, of reaching one billion people by 2025. And presumably many of those people are in low to middle income countries. You mentioned Africa, India, other parts of the world where there is incredible poverty um, and where access to care uh, is severely limited. Um, And so clearly there can be advantages in terms of uh, spreading medical knowledge, uh, especially when there is a brain drain in many of these uh, countries. One question I have is that your platform requires technology. Have you found that to be a barrier, particularly in some of these low to middle income countries that might not have that technology, might not have the the bandwidth? Actually, I was surprised that we haven't found it as a barrier because of the fact that most countries now have 3G or 4G cell phones. And in low and middle income countries, a lot of the participation of the clinicians on the rural end occur on cell phones. Mm. The other thing is that, yes, it will be difficult to get broadband access enough for video conferencing in a village in Africa, but the district hospitals have it. So what happens is that Often, um, either by cell phone or finding a location such as a hospital which has broadband for some other reason, um, we can overcome that barrier. The other issue, of course, Anise, is that 3G is going to 4G and 4G is going to 5G in almost every country in the world right now. And all we need is a 3G platform Um, we provide a video conferencing solution that you use at Yale Zoom, which allows, uh, and we have a worldwide license for that, which we essentially, all our Echo partners can participate on Zoom, and it's very mobile friendly. So for that reason, we are able to do this even in Africa. And of course, places like India have sufficient bandwidth. China, for example, has 4G in every village now. And so it's, it's becoming a non-issue for us. And when we talk about the impact globally, are you finding that it is more uh, international collaborations? In other words, you will have an echo clinic uh, with somebody in Nepal, or do you find that it is more within countries? So many of these low to middle income countries will still have major academic centers. India, for example, has Tata Memorial, which is a phenomenal uh, cancer hospital in and of its own right. Um, how are those collaborations happening? Are they happening more intra-country or more cross-country? Our goal is always intra-country. That means we are trying, most countries have some specialists who know how to do it. Even in a country like Zambia, uh, I was talking to Dr. Bukala at Yale and there was 17 million people and they have one rheumatologist who actually is very good. And we have set up an echo in Tata Memorial, for example, is one of our cancer partners in India. Mm -hmm. And they use echo for that reason because they have all world-class specialists at Tata Memorial in in Mumbai, but they don't exist in the smaller towns. And so they do echo and they do many, many echo projects for different cancers to train oncologists to provide best practice care and uh, surgeons to provide 
Better Care for Cancer. But we also have one out of Bangalore for National Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences for Addiction, Mental Health Disorders, and from PGI Chandigarh for Hepatitis C Treatment and Psychiatry and All India Institute and many, many others in India. And similarly, we, in every country, find the local experts and build Mm -hmm. echoes around them. Mm -hmm. Now, in certain circumstances, uh, we have made an exception to that rule where no expert resides, in which case we can actually use echo to train the experts first mm-hmm. and then build echoes around them. Right. I mean, it, it really sounds like it could snowball into this amazing uh, network of, of specialists really providing best practice care um, as as they continue to train others. Have you found that it has actually made an impact in terms of outcomes in these low to middle income countries? Thinking about places like India, where, you know, the government provides free transportation. If you have a cancer diagnosis, you can get a free train ticket. But is it making a difference? Sure. Yeah. In many, many countries now we have data. Uh, so in uh, Punjab, India, um, they, uh, this very famous institute called Postgraduate Institute uh, was treating about 1,200 hepatitis C patients in a year, set up ECHO, and in a year they've treated 32,000 patients in all the district hospitals. That's Cure rate is 93%. In the country of Georgia, we did the same for hepatitis C elimination. They have treated 40,000 hepatitis C patients with very high cure rates, like in Punjab. In Namibia, evaluation by CDC for HIV um, is showing massive physician learning. So if we have multiple outcomes all over the world and in the United States uh, showing um, improvement in health of the populations. Dr. Sanjeev Arora is the director and founder of Project ECHO, or Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes. He's a distinguished professor of medicine with tenure in the Department of Internal Medicine at University of New Mexico Health Sciences Center. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.